morning. Be seated, please, and we're going to uh, receive our offering at this time. Did the offering? What's that? Oh, did it already. They told me they would do it differently. This morning, the scripture we have, the scripture we have is uh, Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 1 through 6. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it, repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, people who have uh, not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God bless his word to our hearts. Well, I'm not as handsome and nice looking and uh, eloquent as our pastor, but he's in Ireland. <laughs> But anyway, it is a privilege to be able to stand uh, behind the pulpit, as they say, uh, to uh, bring the message that God has laid on our hearts. As you know, we've been working through the book of Revelation, and uh, we've come to the fifth church today. It's the uh, church of Sardis, and uh, it's uh, a prophetic uh, book our uh, message, probably one of the most prophetic that, that is in these seven churches and uh, that we are seeing develop right before our very eyes. Uh, it's um, something that as a, a microcosm of it, I experienced uh, in uh, what I call God's country, <laughs> in the capital city of God's country. So the next time you go up through the Methow Valley, which is God's country, <laughs> and you come to the first town, it's Methow. Drive not more than 40 miles an hour because those people really don't like it when cars go zooming through. But anyway, the last, uh, next to last place on the left, before you go on out north, is uh, the uh, little white church. And uh, that's where, though I did, was not saved in a church meeting there, it, I was attending that church because we lived right there uh, many years ago. 
So that church has a lot of memories for me. Six generations or four generations of the Dunbars have been married in that church. Uh, and, and so, you know, if we talk about a little bit of emotion, why uh, that church means something to us. However, um, uh, for a long time, that church uh, had wonderful pastors. It was a Methodist church. It had wonderful pastors who loved the Lord and they loved the word. And they preached it and lived it. And then suddenly... The conference decided that they didn't want any more evangelicals in that church. They sent us a pastor who denied anything that could deny or could save a soul. He denied the virgin birth of Christ. He denied the uh, inspiration of the scriptures. He denied uh, the uh, sacrifice of Christ as being efficient. He did just about everything that, that is contrary to the scriptures. We as a small church, we were the small church between Pateras Methodist and Methow Methodist. And as a church, we pulled out. Um, and uh, we watched in horror as the Methodist, um, well, the, that local church, and then the whole denomination was going down. And let me tell you, this is not only the Methodists. It's something that's happened to the Presbyterian, the Baptist, the Pentecostals, uh, you name it. And uh, it's a picture of Sardis. Sardis was a, a, at one time a very prosperous church in a prosperous city, an idolatrous city. And yet uh, they at some point had uh, no longer kept the faith. And so that's the, uh, the scene that we have. And Jesus is speaking a message. Jesus himself. He says, John, I want you to go to the pastor of that Sardis church and uh, write, write him a letter. This is what I want you to say. So this is a message from Jesus. And it's a message that we're to listen to today. Uh, and uh, so as we... Uh, look into this, we see how not only local churches like that, but also whole denominations have stepped away from that which uh, God intended. And so when we talk about this church that is uh, uh, mostly dead, then we have to uh, realize that could happen to us as well. In Revelation 3, 1 to 2, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. This is word of Jesus. And uh, I'd hate to have him speak those words to Livingstone Church. But it's happened to many churches. And uh, it's not only in corporate churches, but it's also individuals. 
And this message is very much a very personal thing as well as a corporate message. It's something that we as Livingstone Church have to take. I, I've wondered, now if John were to, the, the apostle, were to go up and stand behind the pulpit and preach to the church of Sardis, how he would be received. I kind of doubt he would be very well received. Maybe that's why he was supposed to write this message instead of, uh, of go and speak it. But the message is simply this, that uh, I know your deeds. Now when we say that God knows, Jesus says, I know. It's, uh, remember in the title, it says that uh, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God. Now in chapter 5, verse 6, it speaks about the same seven uh, spirits of God who are the seven eyes of the Spirit. That means God can see and knows everything. There is not a thought that you have that God doesn't know. There's not a, a, an eye or a vision that you have that he does not know. There's not a motive in you that he does not know. And he knows it to the perfection. Is he crying about it or is he grateful and gracious about it? Knowing that, uh, he is, that you are honoring him. Thing is, God knows. I know your deeds. I know your works. And uh, so uh, it ought to cause us to realize that the eyes of the Lord, like it says in Second Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect before him. Now, that's a big word, but that's what God makes us in his grace. That completeness, that perfection. And we can know that he is looking out to show himself strong in behalf of every one of us who have our hearts perfect before him. But there's the other side in which there is, for those that are not perfect, God has some message as well. Um, I really do believe that... Uh, God is not only looking for the bad, he's looking for the good. And when God sees our good works that glorify our Father in heaven, he rejoices. So God's knowledge is not for condemnation, but for blessing. And uh, even the condemnation is to bring us to repentance, as we'll see later. Uh, now Jesus is saying to this church, you've made a great name for yourselves as really alive and prosperous. You're considered the church. You're really alive, really growing, really active. Your program is so smooth. There are no hitches to it. Your kids are having a blast. Your facilities are the last word in comfort and access. The word everybody is saying, that church in Sardis is alive. But Jesus says, I have another word for you. I have another word for you. It's you're dead. You're dead. Uh, that would be a hard message to take. 
And as I've been preparing this and praying about it, I don't say that in our Living Stone Church, and I'm grateful. But the potential is there if we let our guard down. Sardis was a city, a very prosperous city over centuries, really. And yet two times in their history, they were conquered by outside uh, forces. And the reason was they didn't put up their guard. And uh, so the city was overrun by the enemy. And uh, it's a message to us, don't let down your guard. An individual, don't let your guard down at all. Churches, do not let your guard down theologically or in practice or in anything. Do not give in to the temptations there are out there. Don't give in to the worldliness. So, he is saying to the church, uh, remember what there is in the Old Testament. The prophets, they kept saying this, uh, God hates that hypocrisy. God hates that which is is so against uh, the uh, true word of God. Your religiosity, you're trying to put on a good face. God hates it. And we are to remember those uh, words from the Old Testament. Um, now the deeds of, of uh, or the works of uh, Sardis, or yeah, yeah, Sardis, uh, interesting to me, is that uh, it seemed to be many, 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 many deeds, many activities. It sounds like a going church. It sounds like they had a kids program. It sounds to me like they had everything going for them, just really going for them. And then uh, uh, I believe it also was uh, for us four no more. There were things that were for self. Let's have the beautiful sanctuary. Let's have the most comfortable places. Let's have the best sound system. Let's have this, this, have that. And that seemed to be the the uh, whole drive of this church in Sardis. Or it could have been very formal and proper. Now, some churches like formality and and uh, like everything just in order so that you know that at five minutes till nine you're going to have this and ten minutes after nine you're going to start your sermon and so on. They like orderliness. And that's not bad. But then there are others that are a little bit more raucous and more, uh, more hep. And uh, uh, where are we on that? Thank the Lord we're well balanced. <laughs> Um, but the thing is that this is what Jesus is seeing in this church. He knows what's going on in this church. And uh, this church also is just plain old sinful. Uh, Ellen was reading an article to me the other day, probably Facebook. That's the only place to get messages anymore. (laughs) So I'm off of it, but she isn't. 
But uh, in this article, it's, it should be a tearjerker because it was giving the percentages of people within the denomination churches that allow uh, abortion. Not only allow it, but they approve of it. And there are two of those churches that are mentioned by name that uh, I really have high respect for. Uh, they're, I consider very evangelical. But there were 25 and 27% of the membership of those two churches that approve of abortion. Where did that come from? And it was a sad, uh, an even sadder situation for me when the, the lowest number, lowest percentage was in a cult, Jehovah's Witness. But, you know, this, this is only one of many social issues in which the church has fallen down. Uh, the uh, gay rights and all of this type of thing. Uh, and... God, well, if I, if I were to picture Jesus, I would say he has tears running down his face all the time as he sees that which is his body, his bride, his uh, temple of the Holy Spirit messed up all like this. But this is what he says, you thought you were alive, but you're dead. In September last year, Ellen and I had the privilege of going visiting our son down in Saltillo, Mexico, and uh, ministering a little bit. And, and uh, in the backyard, one day I, was, I happened to notice about four hummingbirds, because in his backyard he had some honeysuckle and this kind of stuff. And and uh, these little things were in and out and going, just constantly going, going. And then I, as I was watching, there was one bush that one of those hummers decided he was going to be the captain. And he would not allow any others to come. He would go in and he'd dip and he'd get something and then he'd come back out and sit on a branch until a, another one would come in. And he'd go and buzz him off and then he'd go and sit, take another sip and go and sit on his bench. I watched for 15 minutes. He would not allow anything else to, or any others to come in. And uh, at the same time, I got to thinking, now what good is that? He's filling his belly, but he's not helping anybody else. And then I got to thinking also about the, uh, the bees, honeybees. They also are in and out, and they're constantly going. But they're never fighting against others except those invaders and they're working to take in nourishment into their hive they're doing that with purpose with fruitfulness and I got to thinking Sardis is like the hummingbird feeding their bellies taking care of themselves but the honeybee is like the ones we're going to be seeing in just a moment but it is at this point that I really believe this title that was given by Jesus about himself. He said, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God. The Holy Spirit, the, Holy, the perfect Holy Spirit. Seven refers to perfection. And so he is the 
the full expression of the Holy Spirit. He has that. And I believe that at this point in in his message to the church, this is where it comes in, that uh, the uh, activities, rituals, and programs may be all right in themselves, but where is the Holy Spirit? Where the Holy Spirit is, there is life. And where he is only a nice part of our theology and not the reality of our theology, where he is only lip service to our creed and not vital and vibrant, there is death. Who is the Holy Spirit to you, to our church? What do we count on most? Our program? I'm talking to me. I really feel that at this point, Jesus is saying, just look at the great Holy Spirit that I offer to you in in his fullness. Yes, I know you received the Holy Spirit when you were saved. But is that all there is to the Holy Spirit? No, there's so much more. And I believe that we as a church need to be thinking seriously about our relationship to and with the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit truly directs, blesses, and controls, there is life, fruitful life. Remember, Jesus, the God-man himself, needed the Holy Spirit on his life as a man. There's something deep about this that I don't know just how to jump into it, but friends and members of this church, we need a refreshing in the Holy Spirit, a refilling of the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus wants that for us. And then a Holy Spirit-less church is a dead church. You can go on routine so long. You can go on doctrine so long. But after a while, the programs fall apart and the church is dead. Turn the lights out when the last one that leaves. Um, But I'm going to be a little more positive. What God is going to do through Livingstone Church as we are filled with the Holy Spirit will be amazing. This valley will feel the impact and is feeling the impact. Praise the Lord for that. So, um, how many of you, I won't ask for hands, but there's a, a, I don't like too many movies, but this this movie, Princess Bride. (laughs) I've watched it several times. (laughs) But there are several sayings within this movie that uh, really are classic. And one that I believe is very appropriate for this message for the church of Sardis is, uh, oh, he's not completely dead. He's just mostly dead. (laughs) And then a little bit lighter, he says, it'll take a miracle. Um, and as I was thinking about that, I almost was going to have a, that clip at least here for us to be reminded, because uh, here is the hero, hero, hero of the story, and uh, he is dead. 
they think, in a wheelbarrow. And he's there before the witch doctor or whatever he is. And, uh, and he says he's not completely dead. He's mostly dead. And uh, I thought, you know, uh, it's a picture of the church of Sardis. Because it says that there were a few names still in Sardis that had not corrupted, not messed up their wedding ground. They had not gotten filthy. Now these were not uh, what you what we might think of as uh, santurrones in in Spanish, uh, sanctimonious, uh, holier than thou people. There were ones that were tested and tried, and they were pure, and uh, so they were there, surrounded by these others that. Uh, Jesus considered dead, but he said, you got a little bit of lifeblood still in that church. You have a few people that are standing firm, not only doctrinally, but in, in their way of life. And, uh, and so now, the miracle. It'll take a miracle. And it was not going to be a chocolate-covered pill. Remember, they had to force a big pill down there. No, this is what I call the three R's. Recognize, remember, and repent. Wake up, recognize, acknowledge the fact of your situation before God right now. You as a church, you as an individual. Uh, your works are imperfect, they're incomplete, they're unacceptable, they're unfruitful, they're about to be judged. Do not fulfill... It is, uh, they do not fulfill the purpose for which uh, the church exists. Are we praying and weeping over the blood-bought church that is dying? We need to be praying, we need to be fasting that God will do a great work alive, not, not just this church, but the church. What is the church? It speaks of it as the bride of Christ in one place. Another place, the body of Christ. Another, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Another, the light of the world. And all of that indicates certain aspects of what the church is to be. What God expects of us. As the bride of Christ, the intimacy that we are to have personally and as a church with Jesus himself by the Holy Spirit an intimacy of purity. And then as a body of Christ, we are Jesus' feet out in the, on the street in our work. We are his voice uh, at home and at work and wherever we are. Uh, we are his body uh, to go into all of the world. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It, we are the channel through which the Holy Spirit is to move into our world. And he is the light of the world, the light of the gospel to, to go to the world. And so, in looking at the church, this is going to be the, the uh, criteria by which he judges the church. 
So there's recognize where you are and then remember personally. Do you remember when you first came to knowledge of Jesus as your Savior? I don't know that you have to put a date to it, but I can put a, a, a place to it. It was up there in Methow, in my home, just the next house north of uh, the church. One night I went to bed, and uh, suddenly there was such a conviction on my heart. I was about 15 years old. I'd been in the church, had a praying mother and all, but uh, I felt such a conviction of sin. I got out of bed, and I said, Oh, God, forgive me of all my sins. I had not killed it, not a person. I had not robbed a bank, but I knew I was a sinner. And I said, Lord, please save me. And I was praying that way for about 20 minutes, I would guess. And I sent such a sense of, of, of freedom, like a load lifted off my shoulders. And uh, I knew that he had forgiven me. That was the beginning, I would say. And he's re- spoken to me in so many other times, giving me a call to missions and all of the different things. He, he said, Tom, uh, it's not enough just to be forgiven. You need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You need to be purified. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, you, you can't imagine the, the number of hours I've spent crying out to God uh, over the years. But as you remember that, was it, is it as fresh today as it was then? This is what I believe God wants of his church. Remember, remember the word that I gave to you. Remember the opportunities you had. Remember all of these great blessings you've had, all the people who have prayed for you. Remember, remember. And uh, do we as a church remember why we exist? Do we keep it in mind all the time? Uh, I remember in uh, Costa Rica, we were in language school down in Costa Rica. And um, one of the missionaries there from a denomination, one day there were several of us just chatting. And we were talking about how the Lord had blessed us and what God had done. And I could see tears almost forming in his eyes as he said, you know, I used to have such a beautiful relationship with Jesus. I went to a very solid Christian college. I was called to the mission field. But then he said, the denomination required that I go to this seminary that denied anything that I'd learned. And he said, and it was almost like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. I thought, what a memory. If he could come back, what a great missionary he could be. Remember, and then repent. Now, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 11, talk about what real repentance is. And that repentance requires 
a great pain in the heart for what we've done. It requires great zeal to get rid of that. It requires, and you read it sometime in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 11. It's a powerful portion telling us what real repentance is. It's not, hey, I'm sorry, God. It goes so much deeper than that. It goes right down to the very heart of the issue. And that's what he is calling us to. Uh, I can imagine our Lord as he looks at us inviting us to repent. Because he's not coming down with a sword. He's coming down inviting us to repent. And so what's that tear forming on his cheek as he looks at the church? And I think that he is somewhat thinking of when he was looking over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you in and and restored you and blessed you, but you would not. And is he looking at the church of Sardis that way? I believe so. It's not in spite, but it's in mercy and tender compassion. And so... You know, there's a song, I always, almost was going to break out and sing it, but I didn't. You're, you're going to be glad I didn't. But it's a song that says, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care when my heart is broken? Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care when a child of his is going wayward? Does Jesus care? He surely does. And then he says, and if you will not repent, like a thief, I'm going to show up and it'll be for your destruction. No more chance once he comes like that. Not only the second coming, but other times when he comes upon us uh, and for destruction. But there is the faithful few, that not the santurrones, the sanctimonious. Uh, but uh, he says you have a few names. For Jesus, it's not just um, numbers. It's names. He doesn't say, hey, you. He says, Tom, Ellen, Marianne. Jerry, and I hope that you can put your name in there too. Can you put your name in there? This is a faithful few. This is, this is what delights the heart of Jesus. And uh, so you have a few names who are not defiled. They have not defiled their garments. That is, they are pure. They have not allowed the love of the world to overcome them, nor the persecution. What is worldliness? Because that's usually what really causes people to die spiritually. It's uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And it says, And uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, For that which is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life 
is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. So worldliness is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you can study those out and write books on them, of what that really means. And it's opposed to the love of the Father. So, uh, they've not defiled their garments. And here's where I think this is probably thinking of, uh, of the bride of Christ. Now, I hope, now I've officiated a few weddings, and I stand here and I watch as the bride and her father come up here. And usually they have to have somebody hanging on to the tail end of that dress because it's a white, big, great big dress, paid thousands of bucks for and all. But can you imagine a bride supposed to, supposedly in a, a beautiful white dress or gown, but it's all muddy? She's been feeding the hogs out there. Can you imagine that? But this is basically the picture he's giving. That which ought to be pure and wonderful in our relationship with God and with one another, and we mess it up. And this is the picture that is giving here. But they have not messed it up. They have not gone out feeding the pigs in their wedding down. Um, and so this brings to me one of the, I feel, one of the great missing parts of the uh, teaching in much of the church, the purity of heart, this cleansing from all sin. We talk a lot about forgiveness, and that's wonderful, but the atonement, the death of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit was for much more than just forgiveness. It is to cleanse our heart so that we can be a pure people before him. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 speaks about that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That uh, the washing of the uh, water uh, by the word. Uh, it's something to purify the heart so that we're not constantly struggling, struggling, struggling with trying to maintain a, a forgiven uh, relationship, but rather we are living in victory over sin, cleansing the heart. There are a few names in Sardis that are not appropriated uh, or that had appropriated this cleansing for themselves. Their lives were righteous and pure. And so it says, now, as a bride, you can walk with me in this bridal walk, this matrimonial walk in white. No messed up wedding ground on this bride. And then it ends like all the others, uh, other messages end. It says, he that has an ear, let him hear. Now, God doesn't force us to listen. God didn't force Moses to listen. But all he did was 
he set a bush on fire but didn't consume it. And probably others who had walked by said, that's strange, but walked on. But Moses came to it and he said, what's that? And the Bible says Moses turned aside to observe what was going on. A bush that's on flame but is not being consumed. And it was there. As he turned aside, he had an ear to hear. And he listened. And God's voice was clear. He became the great leader, the one who delivered his people, God's people, out of, out of Egypt. Uh, so this is a very important thing. If you have an ear to hear, if you have uh, the choice and you have the power of choice, choose him, listen to him, take this whole message to your heart. This is what Jesus is saying Hey, this is a prophetic thing. Uh, back or down in 2020, uh, there's going to be a fulfillment of this prophet, prophecy of Sardis. So listen. This is our time to listen and then stop, listen, and, uh, and then act on this message. In conclusion, as you think through the message of the ch to the church of Sardis, with which group do you identify yourself? There is the large part that is almost dead. Church is routine. The Bible is not all that important. There's no real burden for souls to be saved. Prayer is routine and empty. That's one side. But the other part of this church, it's a small part, sad to say, a few people, a few names. Um, it's the true bride of Christ. By that last verse, the choice becomes ours. Will we be the almost dead church or will we be the live church? God help us, we pray. Open our eyes and our hearts. Thank you for this word to Sardis. Thank you. We pray that you will grant now to every one of us that clear burning bush so that we can turn aside and find truly every, everything that you have for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.